Hello. It is great to see you all here. It's great to see the folks online. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Lent. Yes, it's Lent. Lent starts uh, with Ash Wednesday. That was last Wednesday. And it ends with Easter. And if you're wondering what is Lent, like what is this 40-day period that we are currently in, I'll save you the trouble of Googling it and read you what's on Wikipedia. Uh, Lent is a period of grief that necessarily ends with a, with a great celebration of Easter. Thus, thus, it is known in Eastern Orthodox circles as the season of bright sadness. The purpose of Lent is the preparation of the believer for Easter through prayer, mortifying the flesh, repentance of sins, almsgiving, simple living, and self-denial. In Lent, many Christians commit to fasting. And Rachel talked about fasting last Wednesday during our service. You can grab a fasting guide out in the lobby. If you're online, email us. We can send one to you. Um, I want to talk. I love the way that this quote talks about how it's a seasoned of bright sadness. It's like happy sad, right? It, Lent is sad. It is traditionally a time where we focus in on our sin, and our sin sucks. We need to feel the weight of it. With, with Good Friday coming, we need to feel the weight of our sin putting Jesus on the cross. But, and this is a big but, but it doesn't end there. No, all of Lent points to Easter, and there is nothing brighter or happier than Easter. It is like the ultimate party, Easter. You know, all of this reminds me of a story, a parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son. It's in Luke 15. That parable has the prodigal son in the muck, right? He's in the pigsty. He's looking at his life and going, this sucks. But never forget, the parable doesn't end there. It ends with a huge party, with a father running out to his son, welcoming him home. That's what we're after, being welcomed home. That's what Lent is about. That's what we're going to do in Lent. We're going to press into this bright sadness, this happy sad, okay? And l during Lent, on the weekends, we are going to focus in on our sin and press into repentance. Repentance. Yeah, and, and it'll suck, right? It'll hurt to look at our sin, but we're not going to stay in the suck. We're, we're going to turn and we're going to go to Jesus. Just like the prodigal son, we're going to get up and head to him. We're headed to the party. We're headed to transformation, to him bringing us to life. And if you think about it, that's what all of following Jesus is about. Transformation, coming to new life. Yeah, what we're after is new life beyond sin. That's what we're calling this series, Life Beyond Sin. It's, like I say, it's what following Jesus is about. You know, for the last few weeks, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, how Jesus shows us the fruits of the Spirit, how we can live out the fruits of the Spirit. That was transformation. That was us coming to life. And is my prayer that there may be different ways, there may be different approaches, but for us as a church, we will always press into that transformation, coming to life. So, let's get to it. Life Beyond Sin. Uh, to look at our sin during this season, we're going to use the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. Perhaps you're familiar with them. There's uh, lust, gluttony, greed, envy, sloth, wrath, and pride. Whew, they cover a lot of territory. 
And it can be easy to see the list and go, oh, yeah, you know that one. That's the one that I really struggle with. I struggle with greed or pride. Or it can be even easier to go, oh, yeah, my spouse, my friend, they struggle with that one. I want to make sure they hear the message on that one. <laughs> and sure, you know, we can all struggle with one of them, maybe more than others. But I got to say, to di in different ways, to different degrees, we all struggle with them all. I know I do. We can all benefit from all of these talks. All right. So for today, we're going to be looking at our lust. Life beyond lust. Lust is a big deal in our world today. And we are good at ignoring it. We're good at ignoring what Jesus said. But I tell you that anyone looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Lust matters to Jesus, and he is focused in on our hearts. Now, I think it's also easy for us to forget something else Jesus said, especially for us that are Christians. We forget what Jesus said to the woman caught in actual adultery. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus called out her sexual sin with such gentleness. He didn't condemn her. He didn't shame her. And I think for us, particularly us churchy folks, it can be easy to make lust, sexual sin into something special, something particularly shameful. That's not Jesus. Let's let Jesus break that off us today too. God's not embarrassed about sex, even sexual sin. All right. So today, we're going to focus in on our sin, focus in on our lust. But remember, this is going to be happy sad, right? Sure, it's going to be hard to look at our sin, but where it's leading to is the party. It's new life beyond our sin. And to do that, we'll start, again, with a hard look at our sin. And then we need to come to terms with that. We need to come to our senses when it comes to our sin and then turn and go beyond our lust to God. That's where we're going today. So grab a Bible, okay? We're, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. It's on page 29 in the Bibles we have here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read an old story about lust. So Lord, I welcome you here now. Uh, we need you. I need you, because probably most of the people here don't want to hear about sin, and they don't want to hear about lust. And God, I'm never going to convince them. But you can Show them that by looking at our sin and turning from it, we're invited to your party, the best party ever. God, I do pray that you come in your power. Holy Spirit, come and give us new life, life beyond sin today. Transform us, make us more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, our text for today, I... I love this story. And one of the reasons I love it is personal. When I, uh, my oldest daughter was like three years old, uh, we were living in Seattle and we went over to my aunt's house. And my aunt loved to read my daughter Bible stories. And so they're cuddled up and she's reading her the story of Joseph, you know, the guy with the fancy coat that gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And she's reading it right out of the regular Bible. No children's Bible. And so she gets to the part where Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph and tries to seduce him. You can imagine the questions a three-year-old would ask about that. 
it was hilarious. So here we go. Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the eyes of, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. And, and the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything, everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When, I, when he heard my scr me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to, me to to, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He, allowed, he showed him kindness and granted him favor in his eyes, in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with, was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. All right, Potiphar's wife, we'll call her Marge. She tries to seduce Joseph. And Joseph, right, Joseph is running the show, right? He's got success in his career. He is doing great. And then he's faced with sex. Sex is a big deal. How we deal with sex can make or break us. 
And Marge, Potiphar's wife, she is the bad example here, right? She's the cautionary tale. She shows us, she helps us see our lust. Now, Marge's lust, Potiphar's wife's lust, like many of ours, is for sex. She wants to have sex with Joseph. But I need to say right at the start, lust does not equal sex. No. In the Bible, sex it is, not, it is not innately bad, right? Throughout the Bible, we see Proverbs 5 and 1 Corinthians 7. If you, if you check those out, married couples, they're supposed to like go at it. They're supposed to have sexual desire for each other. In the Bible, there's a whole book, Song of Solomon. It, it, it is a joyous, joy, even graphic celebration of sexual love. Don't read that to your three-year-old, okay? Okay. Um, God, he made us, and he made us with sexual desire. And God, he doesn't make mistakes. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a flaw. It's a feature. The Bible never says that all sex is bad and dirty and gross and, you know, shameful. No. God made sex, and it's good. It's beautiful. Besides, in the Bible, most often when it talks about lust, it's not even talking about sex. Lust is our desires out of control. Marge, her desire that's out of control is for sex with Joseph, right? It, it says in verse 6, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Took notice of is a pretty weak translation. Yeah, she took notice. She saw that he was well-built and handsome. But that Hebrew word that's used there, that means to eye. It means to lift up your eyes too. She was dwelling on. You know, her, her, her desire was out of control and she was ruminating on. She was thinking and thinking about having sex with Joseph, how, how well-built and handsome he was. And he was good-looking. And she had gone to bed with him so many times in her mind mind that despite the danger to them both, despite all his refusals, she had to have him. She had to have him in reality. Can any of us relate to that? That kind of lust? You don't have to raise your hands. And sure, it can be, it can be a desire for sex, for somebody, for somebody's body, for, for sexual pleasure. But it doesn't have to be for sex. It, it could be an overwhelming desire for possessions, to, to have the latest clothes, the latest fashions, or the newest gadgets, the newest phone, to have that car that you're dreaming about, that boat, that longing that's out of control. It, it could be an out-of-control desire for adventure, for screen time, for food, whatever it is, the desire that is out of control. Can we look in ourselves and see any of that? I know I've seen it in my life. My, my lust has led to me doing things, to buying things that, that were out of a place of out-of-control desire. The first step to new life is seeing the truth and admitting it. Well, there's more in um, Marge and Joseph's story. For example, we see that um, sexual lust is desire without a promise. Yeah, Joseph, in verse 9, when he is fighting off Marge, right? He says, hey, hey, no, 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 no. You're Potiphar's wife. You're not my wife. Right? He, he gets that. 
he, he gets that, but she seems willing to ignore it. But Joseph, he understands, right, that, that sex means something. He understands why there is sex, that there's no such thing as meaningless sex. Now, today, in our world, loads of people are trying to convince themselves that there is meaningless sex. And I will say that if there is no God, if all of life is meaningless, if all we do is live and die and then there is nothing, well, then go at it with whoever you want. Have at it. But, you know, complete sexual freedom, meaningless sex, is a pretty small consolation prize if all of life is meaningless. On the other hand, if life has meaning, if there is a loving God, shouldn't we want to know why he made sex, its purpose, its reason? God created sex. He invented sex as both a sign of and a means of two people being completely united. It is a sign, it is a marker that two people are united in all the areas of their life. In, in, the, in the spiritual part of their lives, the emotional part, the, the social part, the legal part, all the parts of their lives. That's exactly why in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says not to sleep with prostitutes because we shouldn't unite our bodies with them if we're not united in all the areas of our lives, if we're not married. Timothy Keller, the pastor in New York City, he says this. He puts it this way. The Bible says sex is God's designed way to to say to somebody else, I belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to you. Now, if you say that and and then say, I don't want to marry you, you're talking out of two sides of your mouth. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, he puts it more colorfully. He says that if we want sex without marriage, if we want pleasure without a promise... What we're, it's just like we want to eat food and then just vomit it up. We want the taste of food, the enjoyment, the pleasure of food, but we don't want that food to become part of us. We don't want the consequences, the commitment, the responsibility of eating. And that's not natural. That's not healthy. It's not how we were designed. And yet many of us have gone down that road. We may be going down that road now. And we make excuses, and we rationalize, and we ignore it. But it's lust. Can we see the lust? Can we own it in our lives? Okay, next. Um, Marge and Potiphar's story, it also shows us that lust, it's desire without a person. Without a person. Lust is the opposite of love. Think about what Marge does, right? The minute that she understands that Joseph, he ain't going to sleep with her. She's not going to get what she wants from him. What does she do? She immediately tries to murder him. She accuses him of a capital offense, right? She doesn't care about, she doesn't love Joseph. She just wants to use his handsome, well-built body to pleasure herself. Any of that sound familiar? Any of that going on in our lives? How about porn? Porn, porn, porn. That's what it is. But I want to tell you, this thing, it doesn't just happen with porn. It actually can happen with married couples. Yeah, and, and it's a pretty easy test. 
With love, we want the person. With lust, we want the pleasure. What do we got going on in our marriages? Is it love? If it's love, then we want the person. And it's okay if we don't always get the pleasure that we'd also desire. Because it's the person that's non-negotiable. And the pleasure is negotiable. Or is it lust? And the pleasure is non-negotiable. And the person, oh, that's more negotiable. Do we see our lust? It's not pretty. Yeah, our desire that is out of control, our, our misusing sex, our, our, our using people, right? Just like the prodigal son, we need to look and see our muck See the, our sin and the consequences we're in. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come now and you help us see. You, 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 you help us come to our senses about our lust. Just like the prodigal son, right? We need to look around at our life and see what we can see, right? He, the prodigal son saw himself in the pig pen, right? He saw himself hungry and in need of a change. Let's take a look at our lives, the lust in our lives. Let's see it in its consequences, whether it's lust for sex or lust for something else. You know, sometimes our out-of-control desire, it makes us so desperate, right? So, sometimes we, we, we just think we're going nuts when we can't have what we want so bad. And then when we actually get it, well, that pleasure, it doesn't really last. It's so fleeting. And then we're left feeling empty and lonely. And yet, that desire burns in us, that longing that is out of control, and it ends, us make, it ends up making us feel gross. Now, contrast that to life with our Heavenly Father, right? Our Heavenly Father promises us a life full of real satisfaction and joy. He promises us a life where we can, we can be completely at peace and confident and secure in the power of his incredible love for us where we can enjoy his loving embrace. We need to see that our lust, no, no, no. God's, what God offers us, life with God is way better than our lust. Way better than our lust. Yeah, you know, the thing that we're actually wanting the most, we can only get from God. And he offers it to us. We can trade up to that. We can trade up today. But only through him. The sex isn't the ultimate thing in our lives. It really isn't. You know, the Bible is clear that if we have God, it is way better than sex. This is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 can celebrate celibacy. They can talk about its benefits because God is better than sex. I, do, do we actually see that? Do, do we actually believe that if we turn from our lust and go to God, that it will be better, that we'll be trading up? We need to come to our senses about that. Next, in... Uh, Verse 9, when Joseph, he's fighting off Marge, and he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin 
against God. Now, clearly, what he, he, it would be a sin against Potiphar, her husband. It would be a sin against Marge. It would be a sin against Joseph's own body. But he gets that first and foremost, it would be a sin against God. Our lust, our out-of-control lust, is a sin against God. With sex, right, it's because sex has a purpose that God designed. And when we misuse sex, we go against his purpose. And that purpose isn't just for marriage, yeah, it is for marriage, but there's more. You can see throughout the Bible that sex is deeply spiritual. Read Ephesians 5 or Romans 7, right? This is why Timothy Keller says this, because there's deep spirituality in sex. The ultimate goal of sex is to be an appetizer and a sign of the absolute ecstasy and joy of complete union with God. Do you see with our lust, we take something that's intended to point to God and we make it point away from him. Sure, our lust, it's disobedience, it's rebellion against God, but it's also messing with his plan. It is mocking his plan and his purpose for our lives. Again, like the prodigal son, we need to come to our senses about our lust and we need to see that our lust is a sin against God. Can we own that, admit that? All right, so seeing our lust, coming to, senses our, coming to our senses about our lust, good things. These are, good, these are steps forward, but they're not our goal. They are not our final destination. Our final destination, remember, is the party, right? It is transformation. It is new life beyond, beyond our sin. The, the prodigal son, he gets up and he walks home. We want to go in the other direction than our lust. And let me tell you, it's not about trying harder. It's not about willpower. We can't do this on our own. We can't. But we can do things to open ourselves up to God, to, to get on the road away from our lust. There are practical things we can do. So Joseph, in uh, verse 10, it says, And though she, Marge, spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Joseph created physical space between him and the temptation. Now, this didn't solve the problem. But what it did do is it created room, it created space for him to experience God, for God to come to him in the midst of his temptation. So, for us, right, when our desire is out of control, how about we create some physical space between us and our temptation? Yeah, this may mean excusing ourselves and going to another room or even driving home. It may mean creating physical, an actual barrier between us and our phone or our computer. Yeah, th this, this isn't the solution. I want to say that. But what it does is it makes room for the solution, the Holy Spirit to come. Yeah, this isn't all like spiritual or in our heads, right? There's actual things that we do in the physical world. The prodigal son actually physically got up and walked home. We do things in the physical world to open ourselves up to the spiritual world. And we see this even in Jesus. You know, last week, Steph talked about Jesus in the desert for 40 days being tempted. Jesus did physical stuff there. He fasted. He had memorized scripture so that when temptation came, he'd be more ready to respond to it. 
if we actually want to trade up, right? If we actually want new life beyond lust, we're going to make an effort. We're going to do things to open ourselves up to receiving God's grace. Yeah, and receiving God's grace is a big step in this. Because I need to say, some of us, maybe a lot of us, we've kind of given up on our lust. We have. We see it. We don't like it. We think there could be better. But we've tried and failed. And so we, we just have no motivation. We have no hope. Or it can be even worse. We, 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 we feel that, and we still feel guilty about it. We feel shameful. We, we have the self-judgment. So we just go numb, and we're even more cut off. We're even more stuck in our lust. But I tell you, Jesus can help. Yeah, and, and we think that if we talk to Jesus about our lust, he's going to have angry words to us about how shameful it is. Oh, that's lies from the devil. Remember the actual words that Jesus says to the woman who actually committed adultery. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He is so gentle with her. Why doesn't he condemn her? Why, why doesn't he condemn us? Because even with all our sin, he is madly, crazy, deeply in love with us. Jesus doesn't condemn us because he's already dealt with our sin, because he's gone to the cross, because he paid the price for our sin, because he's been condemned in our place. Jesus, he, Good Friday is coming, right? He's going to pay in full the price of Easter, the price of giving us new life. Do you see? If we're stuck, I think it's important to get out of our stuck to see that Jesus is very much unstuck. He's not stuck at all. God is running out to meet us, right? He desperately wants to forgive us for our sexual sin, for all of our sin. We can have new life now beyond our sin. It's available now. Let that sink in. Let, let that give you hope. Hope in him. Hope in the power of his gift to you that it can actually bring new life now. Okay. Taking practical steps, receiving God's grace, very important when it comes to turning and going to God, repenting, good stuff. There's one more thing here. And we see it throughout Joseph's story. It's at the beginning of the story where it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master when his master saw that the Lord was with him. And then at the end of the story, verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, the Bible isn't subtle. It, it repeats the important stuff. Jo Joseph was able to resist lust, to live a life beyond lust because the Lord was with him. Because God was with him. If we want to trade up, if we want a prosperous and successful life beyond lust, it ain't going to happen unless God's with us. Unless we experience God's presence. We press into his presence. I mean, think about it. The prodigal son, right? 
He gets a restart. He gets a whole new life. It is a beautiful party. He gets it because he makes it back to the Father, into his presence. When we repent, we don't just turn from our sin. We go to God, into his presence. Our willpower will never conquer our lust. He will. He will. It'll happen in his presence. And he's the prize. When we trade up, we get him. We get his presence. So let's go there now into God's presence. He will be running out to meet us. He really will. So I'm going to invite you to stand up because we're going to move into ministry time. That's what we do every week in ministry time. We welcome the Lord's presence, and we need it now if we're going to address our lust. So Holy Spirit, come. I welcome you here even more. God, come with your presence, with your loving arms. Fill this room. Again, God, we don't want to talk about sin, and we sure don't want to talk about lust. But God, I, show, I pray that through your presence, we can show us that facing our sin and repenting of it and going back to you is so good. It really is trading up. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And God, I, um, I fear that some of us, we're afraid to come into your presence because we have believed the lies that somehow sexual sin is somehow weirdly shameful and it's worse than other things. And God, those are just lies from the devil. So I do pray, Jesus, that you come and break those off. You want to talk about this. You care about it. I mean, seriously, God, in, in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, there's a woman, Tamar, who was raped and it was incest. There's Bathsheba, an adulteress, likely also raped. There's Rahab, an actual prostitute. There's Mary, a single, unmed, unwed mother. You're not afraid of sex. You don't sweep even sexual sin aside. For those of us who have sinned or been sinned against in this area, break off the shame. That's just a waste of time, Lord. Help us to come to you. Help us to seek your presence. And God, in your presence, I ask that we can hear the bad news. Holy Spirit, shine your bright light of truth and show us the lust in our life. Maybe it's a lust for sex. Maybe it's a lust for other things. The desire that gets out of control. Show us, Lord. And just like the prodigal son, bring us to our senses. Help us to know, to believe deep down in our hearts that you actually are better. And that what we're doing out of that lust is a sin against you. Help us to feel your hand reaching out and saying, come back to me. And so right now, Jesus, give us the strength to get up and go to you. Come, Lord, and break off our lust. Heal us. Free us. Let the party begin. God, you are so much better. Your love is so much better. 
And God, I know because it's happened here, we had a woman once who came up and prayed for her lust and you just break the whole thing off. That can happen. But so much, so many more times in our life, it is a slow process of change. And so God, I do pray for that, that it can start today, that you can break things off, but that you will be there and you'll give us the strength as we take the next step and the next step, as we take practical steps. God, give us people in our lives. If you need folks, if folks need people to be around them in this struggle, we can help connect you with people. You don't have to walk through this alone. God, I do pray for real, powerful change in people's lives. I pray that that's what our church will be about. Lives will change. They will look like Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'm going to invite the ministry team to come forward. And um, after a talk on lust, you're probably not itching to run up here. So the, the first thing that they're going to pray for is um, if you're having trouble burning your chocolate chip cookies, come up and get some prayer for that. Get prayer for um, problems in baking. If you're struggling in anything in your life, you, I mean, honestly, if you need physical healing, you're struggling in relationships, you, you, you want to celebrate something with God, come up and let some folks pray for you. And some other folks are going to come up and get prayer about the lust in their lives. They're going to seek freedom, and that is a beautiful thing. They're going to lead us here in some more worship, and I'm going to encourage you to stay. Seriously, slow down. Let God have his way in you. Thanks for coming to the vineyard.